This is the Siku University Australia podcast, where we talk to some of the university's interesting characters. Hello, you're with Izzy Symes for Siku University's podcast, The Grapevine. I'm in the beautiful tropical city of Cairns, speaking with Associate Vice-Chancellor Jodie Dygonen-George. Welcome, Jodie. Happy to be involved. Firstly, tell me a little bit about your role here at CQ Uni. Oh, I'm not sure where to begin on that. Uh, it's, it's a bit of everything. Um, so I was brought on board in 2014 with the purpose of establishing the campus. So in some ways, my role's morphed over the years. Um, so the first, first year was really about making the connections with the community, finding out what the community needed, what were the gaps in, in the programs that were on offer, um, and just basically making sure that people were aware of the CQ University brand. Um, the next year, at the end of the following year, we actually opened and I started to take on sort of a little bit more of a management role as well. So um, we went from a staff of uh, 11 at our opening at the end of 2015 to um, February 2016, where I think we had 50 staff. So massive transformation and, and, and massive kind of culture um, difference as well so um, it was just part of managing that process and we've just been so lucky it's just such a really positive culture here on the Cairns camp- campus and I'm you know the, the staff I work with I they, they make my that they, they give me the reason to get out of bed every day so I'm just really really lucky I have an amazing staff. The so. growth has been exponential I mean in only a few short years um, from what you began with to where you are now and almost bursting at the seams at your campus. Um, Where to next? Because there's got to be another point where maybe a new campus um, has to be developed. (laughs) Um, We we actually reached um, a critical um, point with staff very, very early on in the piece. And um, I think that our, our growth exceeded business case expectations um so it you know it's i'd be rather having problems of growth than um than problems of decline but problems of growth i mean they do represent some significant challenges so um if it wasn't for the positive staff culture that we have in Cairns, there's no way we could have managed it because um bursting at the seams the staff um are working in quite cramped conditions um, but because, you know, we, we do a lot to, to build the staff morale, you know, people kind of accept that it's just, you know, where we are in our, in our phase of development. Um, we've got a number of new sites coming on board. So we've now got the, the engineering lab on Buchan Street. We're about to open the sports science building on Ormala Street. We've got the, the airport campus coming. Um, and, of course, we, we're just about to do another redevelopment of Level 2 of the campus. So um, I think that should give us enough breathing space for the time being. Um, but it, it's not just, you know, the, the, the space for staffing. It's uh, um, because we've taken on a lot more programs recently, we also needed, needed additional teaching space. So uh, just for next year, we've got um, digital media, uh, coming on, we've got psychology coming on. Um, hopefully, more aviation courses will be developed next year as well. So, there's um, there's still significant growth in in programs, not just in in numbers into to our existing programs. 
there's obviously a need for a CQ Uni in Cairns because the growth is showing that. What do you think it is that um, you know allows this continued growth, um, particularly here with aviation? Obviously, it's that um, Asia Pacific uh, connection. But overall, for, for Cairns and CQ Uni, what, what is it that you know keeps student growth happening? I think Seeker University represents a, a quite unique value proposition, and I think um, the engagement agenda is um, is really central and core to that. Um, so when you look at why the opportunities existed in Cairns to begin with, it was around engagement. So um, the and I and and this is certainly no criticism of, um, of of James Cook University, but sometimes when you are the only university in a town, you you can become complacent uh, com, um, complacent when it comes to engaging with your community. And um, and, and let's face it, when it comes to engagement, it's you know it's the it's the it's the nice it's the you know the airy fairy. It takes a lot of effort, and so when you're really intensely busy, the first thing that goes through your calendar is that lunch, or or you know something else that that involves the community. You you, you tend to you know focus in on what's in front of you, and and the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Um, so it's quite often those engagement things where, um, uh, coming from a social science background, you know, I, I realise the power of engagement, and I've always made sure it, that even when I start getting bogged down, that I pick myself up and go, no, I'm tired. I know I'm tired, but I have to go because you know, it's if you show the community that you are interested and you show that you value them enough to attend, mm-hmm. they're going to attend your functions in in return. Um, and I, uh, I honestly think still that word of mouth is one of the most powerful um, tools for you know for so so I I, I basically tell people I market via engagement um, and uh, you know that that's it's that face to face where you're talking to people and they can actually see that you're actually talking authentically mm-hmm. so you know when I'm talking to people authentically about a wonderful new opportunity that we're having people can see that I genuinely mean it mm-hmm. um, and they're more likely to go and tell other people mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure we get um, you know significant hits out of the paper some people read the paper some mm-hmm. people watch the news mm-hmm. but word of mouth in, certainly in this town is, is still king Definitely. Speaking of engagement, aside from doing um, your AVC duties and engagement duties, you also you're also pretty busy sitting on a number of boards and committees, um, engaging with the local community that way. How do you fit it all in? <laughs> um, uh, an old boss of mine said, "There's no such thing as work-life balance. There's only work-life integration." And I learnt that lesson fairly early on in my career. Um, my children are now all grown up, so I, I have the capacity to, to do it. But um, I, yeah, my, my work is is just an integrated part of my life. So there's um, it's in some respects fairly seamless as to Jody the private individual and Jody the the kind of public person. Um, so um, I I'm really passionate about Cairns. Um, I. 
I think there's huge opportunities here. And so I, I know I can add value and that's what kind of drives me. So I have a lot of early morning things, a lot of late night things when it comes to the board. So I'm on, on the Vice President of the Chamber of Commerce. I'm a board member of um, Advanced Cans. I'm also now on the board of the RDA and the Vice President of Study Cans. Um, but I do, I do manage to, to fit them all in. And each time I take one on, I just think, you know, privately, I, I think my inner voice says, are you nuts? <laughs> Um, but I find that I am able to manage it because I think I get better. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's anything. When, when you become more experienced, um, you just find ways and more effective ways to, to manage your time. Um, and, you know, you, and, and the more you can actually add value in some respects because, believe it or not, by being across all of those different areas, I learn different things. So in some ways, my value to a lot of the individual committees... Uh, um, boards that I sit on is that I have knowledge from the others so I can actually make connections because I'm across so many different issues I can make connections that other people can't Mm -hmm. so um, yeah so I do manage to fit it in I really enjoy the work and I feel like I'm contributing and and that makes me feel good as a person. Jodie you mentioned just before um, private Jodie and work Jodie and you also mentioned children Um, tell me a little bit about let's let's rewind um, many years I guess and Mm -hmm. a little bit about your yourself and your background and um, I think at one point you mentioned something about being at the Brady Bunch. <laughs> how, did, how did that come about? Tell me a little bit about that. Okay. Um, I, um, I had my first child at, at, at 18 um, So and my, uh, my, my daughter, my baby, um, at the age of 22. So um, she's, I have to keep reminding myself that she's 23 and no longer a baby, but um, I've met my, my husband 20 years ago and um, he also had two children so um, at that point we kind of merged as, as, as the Brady Bunch which um, uh, really interesting chapter of my life and I learnt a great deal um, very challenging chapter of my life um, but uh, I wouldn't change it for anything so I've, you know, I've learnt a lot um, and, and, and really look back now and realise that uh, parenthood is, is in many ways such a fleeting thing. When I was in, you know, right in, th- in the thick of it, I thought, wow, you know, this is just never going to end. And uh, I think I became an empty nester at, at 40. And having become a, a mum so young, it was my entire identity. So I kind of went through this kind of identity crisis at 40, thinking, I'm no longer mum. So... Um, but, you know, as you soon discover, your children never truly leave home. There's always something that they need you for. So I've just had, you know, I've just got a new relationship with them. So, and it's probably a nicer relationship because I think both of my children are, are my friends. Yeah. You mentioned earlier as well your passion for cans. Has it, have you lived here for a long time? I've lived here for just over 25 years. And, and to be honest, I came from Sydney. <laughs> And so wasn't um, uh, wasn't particularly enamoured with the place to begin with, and I thought the best the first chance I get I'm I'm out of here, um, and so I did attempt to leave and found that I hated it and thought, wow, Cairns had really gotten under my skin, and um, so so I returned and and uh, have been here ever since. So I met my husband here in Cairns right, too. Okay. Yeah. And you're originally from the UK. Originally from the UK, um, so born to a, um, a, a Catholic Irishman, 
and a Protestant English woman. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, so born born in the UK, moved out here. Um, I think I was around around two, hence no no accent. Yes. Um, so my parents did move back to the UK while I was starting uni, and. Um, so, you know, have been back sort of several times, mm-hmm. uh, but my parents are now back in, in separately, yeah. back in, in Australia. Okay. Mm. Um, what is it now that you love about Cairns the most, I guess? Um, I really enjoy the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoy the people that I get to meet and, and work with on a daily basis. Um, I think Cairns has quite an entrepreneurial spirit. Mm-hmm. We, it, it's, it's, economy is quite diverse and, and, and quite eclectic in many ways. So we don't have, you know, one dominating. Well, tourism is probably the dominating feature, but tourism is, is business in many respects. It's, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's, it's another business. Um, so we don't have a you know huge government cohort. We don't have you know uh, so for, because Townsville has the army, for example. Um, so. Uh, to, to try and keep the economy ticking along, um, we've had to really rely on a lot of entrepreneurs coming up with new and, and interesting business ideas. Mm-hmm. And just looking at the tourism industry, back in the 1960s, Cairns was a, um, uh, an agricultural town. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a few pioneers um, create, have, have basically sowed the seeds for this amazing tourism industry that we have now. So mm-hmm. I really en- I love working with ideas and, and I really enjoy that fact about living in Cairns. You mentioned social science earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me a little bit about that background of yourself. You, you studied um, and have, you know, you're obviously now in the education sector. Mm-hmm. How did that all happen? Um, almost completely by accident. Um, uh, I often hear people talk about, oh, yeah, when I was a kid, I really wanted to be... I, I was probably a really unusual kid. I never knew what I wanted to do. I had, I've always had very, very diverse and very eclectic interests. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even to probably to this day, um, I would still consider myself a bit of a jack-of-all-trades, of, master of none. I really like diversity. I've always enjoyed diversity. So I'm probably... Um, uh, you know, this kind of role that I'm in now is probably absolutely perfect for me because it's just kind of general. You just need to be across so many different things. Um, I I really didn't have any designs actually on going to university. Um, I am actually first in family to, to have gone to university. Um, I, I ne- but I never closed my options. So when I was in school... Um, when I was in year 12, for some personal reasons, I, I moved out of home mm-hmm. and uh, I n- nearly royally mucked up my, my year 12. Um, so I, um, uh, I was actually really lucky to, to get a place in, in university. Um, so Can- the Cairns campus had only recently opened at JCU and uh, I... Um, I had been offered a, a junior management position at the place that I was working, and so that's what I had intended on doing until my dad said, Jodie, I will be very disappointed in you if you don't go. And my dad's always been my kind of champion in life, and I've always been very, very close to him, and the last thing I wanted to do was upset my dad. So I decided... right. So I did it for him, not for me. And um, so I went through and you know, had a look at what was available, and I 
you know, coming from someone who knew nothing about what she wanted to do in life, I ended up um, seeing that they had an archaeology course. And I remembered seeing this um, show on, um, I think it was National Geographic or, or Great, I can't remember, one of those shows, you know, I grew up with. And it was on the excavation of Pompeii. And I was fascinated by it. So I thought, I know, I'll do archaeology. So I arrived at the first day to be told that the course had been cancelled due to lack of interest. So um, the only option then I had that was available was to do um, uh, a Bachelor of Arts and I had um, history as an option, I had geography as an option, um, sociology as an option, which is funny because I, I didn't click with the lecturer. I, I found it very, very boring, to be honest. And it's funny because that was what became my passion later on when I, when I came back. So I... Um, I'd always been a fan of history, um, but my interest always was with ancient history. And the, the history course that I, I did in my first year was more kind of centred on modern history. So I, it, it just didn't take me and I um, you know, probably went off the rails a little bit. And I, I ended up having, um, having my son, took a year off, then went back and there was more options then available. And I started to take some of the social science um, I redid the, the sociology subject with a new lecturer and found that I just I loved it. Mm-hmm. So that sent me on the path. So I completed the BA with a ma- double major in psychology and sociology, then went on to do um, honours, got a first-class honours in, in, in um, sociology and then went on to do um, what was originally a PhD but for personal reasons pulled out and I've got a master's in social science now. Okay. So. And then falling into the sector, you know, into higher education? Um, well, I started off teaching. Okay. So while I was doing what was then my PhD, I was asked to come and, and, and teach into sociology, which I did, and I loved um, and it was something that um, I, I think because I enjoyed it a lot, mm-hmm. um, I, I think it was something I was, I was good at. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, I just, um, it wasn't paying the bills. Um, and I got an opportunity to, to do a management position um, uh, at the Student Association. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd never actually done a great deal in terms of business development before but um, I'd always shown aptitude for it and uh, I actually did enjoy it. So I was still teaching but then went across and did the, the management role um, but I was only teaching one, one subject at that, at that point um, and then I was offered the kind of the general manager role for, for the Cairns campus. This is in previSU days for the student association so we ran a um, a childcare centre, a cafe, a gym, um, a shop, a bar, wow. and um, some academic advocacy, welfare services, and, and, and so I oversaw that. And um, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it, had an amazing team. Um, I had to lead them all through the VSU process, mm-hmm. so knowing that that was leading me out of a job. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I stuck it through until nearly the end when I, I got a, uh, offered a job in management, in a senior management role within the university, which, believe it or not, I really agonised over because I didn't want to leave. Yeah. The, I'd, I'd taken them so far and I didn't. I kind of really did want to see them through, but they just said to me, Jodie, are you mad? Yeah. Um, 
so in, you know moved into into senior management and I, I think that that particular move has led me to where I am today if I had have continued on the academic path I think I would be in a very very different mm -hmm. position to where I'm now and I'd probably to be honest um, because it wouldn't have been as generalist and it wouldn't have fulfilled all the different aspects that make me tick, mm -hmm. I'm not sure I would have enjoyed it as much. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And now at Seeker Uni, what is it that you love most about this university? Um, I love the values. Mm -hmm. um, being, a, you know, obviously a, a social science mm -hmm. a scientist, the values are, are close to my heart. Um, I... Uh, the, and particularly the engagement and I the community development is just such a critical thing I, I have this philosophy in life that the more of you give the more you give of yourself freely and willingly the more you get back in unexpected ways mm -hmm. so it's like a bit of a turn on the pay it forward principle but I've lived most of my life by it mm -hmm. and it has been something that has just worked fantastic you know in a, in a fantastic way for me and and quite often um, it's th those it's those unexpected opportunities, those unexpected ways that that excite me the most. Because um, if you go into something thinking that you're going to get something in return, it's not just a, for me a, not a great way to look at it, mm -hmm. but it's limiting because you're actually setting the the you're trying to define what it is you think you're getting in return. Mm -hmm. I would rather going in into things with a completely open mind and then being able to, to tease out what the possibilities are. And, you know, you, you, it could take several iterations of possibilities before you've come across the, the, um, the, the final thing that you settle on that, that becomes that great thing that you do. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's just, a, it's, I find it a really exciting journey and a very exciting process. So. And it's much more open-minded, isn't it? You know, yeah. Mm. My next question was going to be around your life motto. It sounds like you may have already answered it. <laughs> Um, do you have one? Um, so that's that's one of them. That's for my pro professional group. No, it's personal life as well. Um, continuous self-improvement. I have always, probably from the, about the age of 21. Um, and it's it, it's funny the influences that you that come across in life and, and the things that end up having a defining um, position on your life um, can come from some sometimes the most unexpected sources. Um, so there was a girl that I studied uni at, at uni with, and um, I can't really say we were terribly friendly. She she had some very what to me were very foreign and very strange ideas is on 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 life, um, and. So I wouldn't have called her a friend, but she was someone that I found myself in in the company of a lot. And um, she, just some of the things that she actually said to me at one point, I it had a greater impact than I thought. And I found that every time I tried to direct my focus on something, things just wouldn't work out the way I wanted. And she really focused on that whole idea of openness and don't direct, let the opportunities come to you. So I distinctly remember the moment and the time I thought, you know what, I'm going to commit to myself that from now on, I am not, I'm going to let, I'm going to ride life. Yep. So I'm not going to sit there and, and dream up what I think I want to do. I'm going to let life happen to me and I'm going to follow the opportunities. And when an opportunity does come and I know it's a gen, I'm not going to let fear get in the way of it. I'm going to take it regardless how afraid I am. And um, I had seen a lot of other people that I knew 
not take opportunities for fear. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's how I've lived my life since. And it's just um, led me to, you know, to extraordinary places. So, um, yeah, it's, and it's been part of who, what, how I've done things for so long. Yeah. I, I don't think I would ever change it. Yeah. So... Isn't it interesting that, you know, such a defining moment that you had no idea it would have such an impact Mm -hmm. back then? Yep, yep. And I mean, I I could go through a thousand examples of that kind of thing in my life. So I I do, I I listen and so so basically what it is that I'm doing is I'm just allowing opportunities to come to me and I'm taking the opportunities Mm -hmm. rather than trying to define my own opportunities. I hope this next question isn't too personal, but I think it's a pretty important topic at the moment. You mentioned at one point that you were bullied by a boy through primary school and as a result grew up with zero self-confidence until um, you started to, in your words, toughen up a little um, in high school. This bullying that occurred was obviously something that has stuck with you until Mm. this day. Do you have any advice to kids today going through similar things to what you did, um, similar type of bullying? Um, Definitely. Um, So uh, the the bullying for me started when I was in grade three. So I was, um, you know, reasonably popular um, uh, until that point in time, and it was—it's—it's it's actually quite odd that it's a boy bullying a girl, um, or I did—I thought it was at the time, but I think—I think social science has really helped me come to terms a lot with that because I could understand some of the processes that were going on. Mm-hmm. So I, when I look back now, because some people turn around and say to me, "Wouldn't you like to have revenge and go back and and say to him, well, look at where you are now and look at where I'm. and do you know that never ever interested me for the simple fact that. I realised fairly early on what the problem was. He was obviously um, just copying things that he was experiencing at home. So um, I, I think that that's just... And I was, I've always been a very soft soul. Um, and uh, so basically, you know, and so always very, very much liked by the teachers, which never went in my favour because, of course, that was part of the source of, of the bullying that, would, would, that had occurred. Um, I, the, the bullying actually got so bad at one point that, uh, so my final year of primary school, I had no friends. So I had a, my, my sister, and this is going to sound like, you know, all hard luck, but there's a really positive story at the end, so if you just bear with me. Um, so, you know, at, at one point, the, my five-year, my, my sister is five years younger than me, and so during lunch um, times, I would have to go and play with her because I had nobody else. Um, so I had zero self-confidence. Um, my home life wasn't terribly great either. Um, so, you know, I wasn't exactly what you would call a, a terribly happy, bubbly child. Um, towards the end of, um, uh, of year six, I went on a, a school camp and I was by myself fishing and the, it, was a, it was a father's day. So the, the fathers came along to, to the camp and, and uh, the boy who bullied Bradley, he brought his father down to, um, to where I had been fishing and I could hear them talking about me behind where I was, where I was standing. And it, it absolutely devastated me. For, for two reasons. Not, you know, no, no kid wants to hear where a parent's actually getting involved in the bullying. But... Um, it actually was the first point, and this is probably, you know, I was, you know, obviously a bit naive, but it was the first point that I realised that parents 
didn't actually have all the answers. They were just normal, flawed people like everybody else. So that so I I look back on that, and it was it was actually a profound learning thing for me, as, as devastating as it was. Um, but then I finished um, primary school, and I, I did have one friend that was outside of school, and I went with her family um, on a on a camp trip, and that was another turning point for my life because I found that. The, the other kids treated me like I was a normal person. Yeah. So I wasn't, you know, this, this social pariah. Mm-hmm. I was someone that not only um, that they all got on with, but they, they sometimes even followed. Yeah. So that was the first. So when I look back now, I think, well, I always had the potential for leadership. It yeah. was just buried. Yeah. Um, so that was a, a bit... In some ways, that was also the start of a, of a negative kind of phase for me because then I realised what was happening and I realised that it was my softness that was basically contributing to, to, the, to the teasing. So I hardened up in, in high school, but um, it wasn't me and I probably went overboard mm-hmm. with it. So um, I would react with anger. If anyone ever tried to bully me, I, I would kind of react with anger. Um, but, I mean, you know, overall, it, the, the whole kind of bullying thing had very, very significant effect on, on my self-conscious. Uh, conscious. I, I really was not a self-confident per, uh, uh, person. Um, and that continued basically pretty much through my life until I started teaching. And not teaching, I, I went to university. And um, I found that people were willing to mentor me so I think because I've n- I was never someone who would blow my own... In fact, I would talk myself down. Mm-hmm. And I think people saw things in me that I did not see in myself. Mm-hmm. And I just thank my lucky stars that I was um, put in front of these people who could actually see. And so it was just basically through a series of, of um, wonderful people that I got the opportunity to work with that um, really helped me to open my my eyes about, you know, the value of what I did. Because yeah. I always knew that I was very capable. Mm. Um, I, you know, I knew I wasn't any dummy um, and that I could do pretty much anything I set my mind to. But it's just the confidence mm-hmm. around it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just very, very lucky to have some amazing mentors in life. And I still really like to have a mentor. Um, quite often they don't know they're my mentors. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I learned some very valuable things out of them. The other thing that I do now is I realise the power of that and so I make sure I mentor um, and, and I, I've actually spent most of my life as... I, I, um, I am very capable of leadership mm-hmm. but I prefer to be the enabler. Yeah, right. Um, it's, that, that's really what makes me happy. I really like to... Uh, and when I do lead, I lead through enabling. Mm-hmm. So I really like to make sure that everybody... That I'm making sure that people develop um, and... and you know, that I really develop their self-esteem as they go. But if I was to um, say something, and, and someone asked me, I was asked recently asked two questions. One um, was, you know, if you could go back and say something to your 16-year-old self, what would it be? And I'm not sure I would actually say anything to my 16-year-old self. Probably what I would do is give my, my 16-year-old self a hug and say, it's OK, it'll turn out OK. Um, and the reason for that, and it leads to the second question, someone um, said, if you could go back in time and change one moment, what would it be? And my answer was not 
one thing because every single thing that I have ever gone through in life has taught me a really valuable lesson and it's really defined me as a person and um, and I own it and without owning it you you just you, you can't actually be comfortable with yourself um, uh, I when, when I would talk about my childhood um, particularly I, I do get still a little bit upset about it now um, but I, I couldn't even get through, um, you know, some of the things that, that had happened. I couldn't get through a word without bursting into tears. So over the years, in being able to come to terms with it all, understand it all, it's, it's become part of me. It's become um, uh, part of, of, you know, contemporary Jodie. And, <laughs> and the thing is, I like me now. Yeah. And in many ways, the, the, the thing that used to cause me the most grief is the thing that I like most about myself and and I own it and I'm confident in it and I don't I don't mind so um, and I think people realize that um, so sometimes people underestimate me because I'm you know I really try to be um, you know a kind person so sometimes people underestimate that but because of the things that I've been through and because I've had that tough edge that I've had to put on I think people see Mm -hmm. that it's there under the surface Mm -hmm. and that if I have to defend myself I will defend myself but I don't have to do it in in an unkind way Mm -hmm. Um, you know so yeah so now that I know myself and I think that's the the thing I've I've accepted everything that's happened I know myself most importantly I like myself Um, and I know because of my mantra of continuous self-improvement, I'm going to like myself better tomorrow. So, um, yeah, so that's I think that's that's a perfect way to end. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The only other question, I guess, is what's next for Jodie? Well, living by the mantra of riding life, I don't know, but I have no doubt that whatever is next will be something that is exciting um, and something that I will end up loving because it's just never led me astray. I have had a really amazing professional career. Um, Every job I've done, I've loved. Um, And yeah, so whatever it is, I'm sure I'll enjoy. I'm loving this job. This has been a fantastic job. Um, And I've still got a little bit to do. So, um, but yeah, never know where the future is going to lead me. Thank you so much, Jodie. Very welcome. Like this podcast? Don't forget to rate, review and share with your friends.